Hello, uh, my name is Gareth Jelly. Uh, this is Interzone Pod, and today I'm talking to Dr. Una McCormack, uh, the best-selling author of numerous uh, Star Trek novels, novels for other franchises, and uh, novels and short stories of her own as well. Um, thank you, Una, for coming on. To start with, uh, could you kind of uh, tell people basically like, like what you have coming out in the next couple of months in terms of sort of new books, because that's that's what... That's what we're kind of meeting today about. Let's let's get get right to it. Let's get right to it. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. So um, I guess the book I've got out at the moment that people might be interested in is my most recent Star Trek Picard novel, mm-hmm. and that's called Second Self. Um, it's uh, it was slightly delayed in publication, so it's it's set between the first two seasons. Um, is it the first two seasons? Do you know I'm losing track now? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the first. Yes, the first two seasons. I, th- I think um, it is. I think but, it is. Yeah, I know. It's all merging into one great sort of chaotic thing. Um, yes, that's Picard, Second Self, mm-hmm. and then very soon, uh, in the next month or so, I have a new Firefly novel coming out, which people may ah, recall as okay. the Joss Whedon space western, horses, uh, horse space. Um, so I've written one of those already called uh, Carnival, and this one will be out, I think, in a few weeks' time. It's called uh, Coup de Gras. So, uh, wow. Oh, coup, okay. de, coup de Grace. <laughs> <laughs> depending on, yeah, depending on who you are. Um, so, so, so Coup de Grace, a, a nice political title there, Coup de Gras. Um, yeah. and, 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 and there is a lot of kind of politics, I think, in a lot of what I've read of yours so far. And I've, I think you made a comment in an interview about how uh, one one reader had sort of read, you know, your your one of your novels as being a kind of historical novel, sort of you know, set in in, in another universe. It kind of has that kind of that feel of kind of history and politics running through it. Absolutely, I've got an essay on this coming out quite soon. It's a, a collection called Writing the Future, edited by Dan Coxon, um, which is coming out from Dead Ink. Um, writing, I, I wrote about historicals and science fiction, and I discuss Picard. I also discuss the new. Most recent Star Wars series, Andor, which I absolutely loved. Um, so anyone interested in that, it's going to be a great book, writing the future uh, from Dead Ink. Andor's interesting because I, I haven't seen all of Andor, actually. I, I've been sort of saving that. Uh, I've heard so much about it, but people did make comparisons to to Blake 7. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think you can see it there. It's, it's the sort of uh, rough edge of rebellion. I think I think Andor has got the budget and um, the way that tastes have changed in in television. They're, just the way they're able to produce a show like that now, it really doesn't pull any punches. It's absolutely, but honestly, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's terrific. Um, and and get, getting back to your kind of your, your your kind of Picard books and this and this new book, there's there's so much kind of going on about kind of it kind of jumps back in time structurally. It's quite kind of structurally it's it's really kind of intriguing and 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 there's the, the characters you, you mentioned how you know raffi you wanted kind of to sort of you know to, to yeah. talk, write about raffi could you sort of talk a little bit about where where the kind of initial idea of of, of that came from and also you mentioned in an email how parts of the story with garrick had been sort of in your mind for a very long time so sort of how did that kind of novel come about so the interesting thing about doing the Star Trek novels is that for until the shows came back, um, we were we were more or less free to you know do what we wanted within within yeah you wouldn't kill someone though we killed off a few people as well particularly David Mack did um, 
So we had about 20 years of, um, you know, extended universe material. Um, and then, of course, the show came back and they they kind of went, well, you know, <laughs> that's it. We're drawing a line under it. So um, I'd been writing these books set mostly on Cardassia. And I had the idea for a third book in mind. And that that's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. It's more or less scripted, plotted in my head. In fact, I've got about 50,000 words of it, which I wrote in lockdown for my own fun. Okay. Um, but the book that, that sort of extended the, be- the beta universe, it was called, that got wrapped up in a sort of three book, you know, epic uh, death to all to, you know, come within the pages sort of thing. A really big kind of event because they wanted to wrap up those stories. This is Coda. Coda, that's the one, the Coda trilogy. Yeah. And David Mack, Dayton Ward and Jim Swallow sort of wrapped that up. But I had this sort of unfinished story, which was, you know, my arc of redemption or otherwise for Garrick. Um, and when we came to do this book, um, I sort of said, oh, you know, there were all these stories that I didn't really get a chance to wrap up. And um, I was working with Kirsten Beyer, who's um, co-creator of Picard and uh, um, is our, was, was a Voyager novelist and is our kind of point of liaison point, the person who sort of does the, you know, make sure everything fits in with what they're doing on screen. And she said, well, you know, just, just put this, put what you can in this book. So I thought, God, I can, can't I? And it was really liberating. I kind of took, you know, 15, 16 years of sort of creative investment, went, I'm free, (laughs) (laughs) threw it away, and then just drilled into what counted about this story. Um, But, yeah, I think, like I said to you in email, some of these bits of story about Garrick, um, particularly the earlier stuff uh, in the book, um, I've I've had – sort of notes on um, for over 20 years. But before I was writing Deep Space Nine um, books professionally, um, it was my kind of backstory of a kind of critical moment in his life. And that was all all present in my mind. So suddenly, I mean, they tell you never to throw anything away. Completely true. It was, it was 20 odd years old. Um, and suddenly this material became exactly what I needed to put in this book. Um, so I felt like I was drawing a real line under a, a character that I'd been absorbed in and invested in for a very long time. And all of it came, I kind of tinkered with it, you know, hopefully my prose has got a bit better. <laughs> but all that central story. It's a beautiful book. I mean, it, it is one of those books where you kind of, you read it and, and without spoiling anything, there there are there are these moments where you sort of, well, where I found myself kind of like flicking back and forth and kind of going, oh, oh right. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> oh, right. So, yeah, well, I'm good. I'm glad about that. I'm very glad about that. It worked really well. It worked really well. It's a, and, and, I, and I think that's, that, that's a, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going back to your earlier stuff as well. So, so that's, that's, a, that, that's, that's fun too. Um, and Enigma Tales is, is fantastic. I, I do like that one a lot. Um, Talk, talking about Picard, the show, you, you, you mentioned this, you were writing, I, I mean, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of intrigued about, yeah, your thoughts on uh, Picard, the show and Picard, the character, and also kind of your kind of feelings of a week or so, uh, a couple of weeks after the Picard finale. Yeah. What's your, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a really interesting season, hasn't it? I think it's just been completely different um, from everything else that we've had. Um, I'm a big fan of the first season of Picard. Yeah, I, I, and partly it's because I was sort of, um, 
I mean, at, at, at a distance, I was kind of involved um, because to write my, my first Picard book is a, is a prequel to that first season. It's the sort of story of why he resigns from Starfleet. So I was very involved in, I, I was getting scripts on a daily basis and, you know, watching the story emerge. And mm-hmm. uh, the book came out um, just just as just as the season was coming out. So I think it came out around about episode four. So it kind of built on stuff that we were seeing there. So I was very involved in that, uh, uh, you know, in some, not, not, you know, as far as you can be as, you know, one of the tie-in writers. Um, and the scripts were beautiful, though. They're, they're really, you know, they're... they're um, I think if you could read them on the page, you 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 can see the kind of novelist scripts, yeah. They sort of uh, oh yeah, I, this is a novelist imagination being brought here. So I've a lot of fondness for that first season, and a lot of fondness for many of the characters that come out because I'd I'd ended up writing them as younger people like Girati and uh, Raffi in particular. Um, so I have missed those characters a lot. Uh, I've got to say, I've, I've really missed Rafi's there, obviously. Um, I've really missed Girati. Uh Elnor and Rios. I've written a, a little bit to a lesser extent. I've missed them as well. So, so that's been a sort of um, that's been something I missed in season three. I'm not saying it's a flaw in season three. Yeah, it's because you know season three is doing some, something completely different, and what season three is doing is, is bringing back all those legacy characters. Um, and on the whole, I think it's done a, it's done a nice job of doing that. You know, it's you, you've been pleased to see uh, people back on screen again. I would have to say that probably my favourite combination was Raffi and Worf, um, who are who I thought were a, a really interesting set of people to get put together. Worf, Worf's sort of um, uh, story. He he reminds me. I don't know how well you know Doctor Who, but there's a Sontaran called Strax, and he's kind of yeah. <laughs> oh. He's a Sontaran that owes owes the Doctor for saving his life, so he becomes a nurse. It rings a bell. It rings a little bell. I, I... And he's he's constantly saying things like, uh, "You know, you have you have a wound on your uh, left arm. Apply this uh, uh, poultice for the next six hours, and may your children's blood." die in the veins of his <laughs> <laughs> So he's kind of, you know, he's he's still got the performance of a Sontar and whilst he's sort of making people better. And War every time Wolf came on, I was going, he's doing Strax, it's absolutely brilliant. So um so I enjoyed that Wolf very much. Um and then of course there are, you know, there are there are the, uh, there's 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 loads of stuff going on visually that that I will almost certainly miss like stuff in the background or particular ships and that that sort of thing. So there's there's lots that I'm probably missing that other people are getting a lot of enjoyment from. I thought it was a fun season. Um, I think I would have uh, when you sort of sit and look back at it. I kind of go, oh, it it does turn out to be a story about fathers and sons, yeah, <laughs> which is quite you know uh, it's quite old fashioned. And I wonder what that scene, those final scenes, would have looked like if instead of uh, Jack. Picard and Riker, we'd had Beverly, Troy, and Jacqueline. Uh, and yeah, yeah, something in my heart longs, uh, you know, wish, wishes that we'd seen that. But that last twenty minutes, take a hard heart not to enjoy yeah. that. I think. So, uh, so they were really kind yeah. of like packing in the packing in the sort of fan service. I mean, it had lots of moments, but at the end in particular, <laughs> they really. Were. I've I've watched. 
back a few times, yeah. <laughs> and it is. Uh, did you enjoy it? What did you think? I thought the. It's funny you mentioned about, about the character, the about Jack, about Jack. The um, the I I I suppose when he was introduced at the, at the very beginning, it seemed almost too two kind of like um boy's own type adventure sort of character coming in and i thought and, and i i had a little bit of trouble kind of getting into the character at the beginning and then and then he, the character grew because obviously they were doing something you know do, doing certain things deliberately but but i don't know about the ending i i think it was it was very satisfying but i think it yeah as a, as a story I, I was sort of a little yeah. bit i was a bit puzzled by certain things by certain it's, choices it's a small all see conservative narrative, you know. Yeah. It's a, and I don't mean that disparagingly because you know um, one of the functions of comedy, not not sitcom, but comedy as a kind of form, is the is is the you know you d- you disrupt things and then order is restored. Yes, so I think I think one of the ways um, in which this exhibits is that um, everyone ends up in Starfleet at mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you, you know, what's the logical point that everyone will go? The logical point is that, you know, Seven will become the captain, um, Raffi will become her number one, and Jack, of course, will enter Starfleet because that's, you know, what his parents did. I think I said to somebody on online, I said to them that probably one of the most radical things that DS9 ever did was when um, Jake said to Cisco. Do you know what, Dad? I don't think I'll join Starfleet. And uh, <laughs> Cisco said, "Yeah, that's great. Find your own way." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's like the Borg assimilating. <laughs> so it always makes me laugh when people end up in Starfleet. I think they, the, the, yeah, yeah, loads of interesting things. I mean, at the same time, that you mentioned, um, I mean, the the kind of ships and 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 the that there there was also a there's a musical cue at one point from Voyager when they're in the museum yeah and there are and there are some really kind of you know yeah they, they really are kind of like pulling on you know everything pulling on certain strings yeah and i was there for it the last 20 minutes in particular you know perfectly happy to uh to sit through all that and i think it does you know it it, it, it acknowledges their aging and you know, the bit of war falling asleep that's all very funny <laughs> very and i'll tell you what it has done it's made me go back and watch some next gen so I sort of pop, you know, went back to Encounter at Farpoint and put that on, and um, uh, I, I I skipped a few of those very early ones. But oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know what? I don't I don't need to watch Code of Honor ever again. Uh, so. <laughs> Let combat continue until there is a victor. It will not be interrupted. So I've kind of skipped forward to some of the you know the more fun ones. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned Encounter at Farpoint because you have you have um, Q there, and I, I do wonder how they you know what they're going to do with the next what the next show. I assume. Well, I think they're, they're definitely wrapping up Picard, aren't they? That's that's the last season now. Um, but I know there's there's been a lot of talk on on Twitter, and and Terry, certainly Terry Metalis has been tweeting about a kind of Star Trek legacy show. I don't know if that's going to be, I don't know if that's going to be a seven led ship or whatever. Um, but uh, oh, I will say, poor old Generation X did pretty badly out of this. I thought the Boomers and the Millennials did fine, um, but then people like Shaw and um, Ro Laren, it was you know <laughs> bullets in the brain, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, 
Sure, sure, sure didn't. Um, yeah, sure didn't do very well. I, I was disappointed there. And I, I, apparently, I think I saw something on Twitter that there were plans to bring him back somehow. I don't know how they're going to do that, but oh, fan favorite, I think. Uh, maybe it was one of those things where they. You know, there's always a breakout character, and they never, they never know who it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And then they, everyone's going, oh "My God, this is the best character we've had in Star Trek for ages!" And the writers are going, "Shit, <laughs> we, <laughs> we've seen episode nine. <laughs> but you know, they've got the uh, transports, haven't they? Which they can, they can revive anyone from a a, a buffer." <laughs> it, presumably yeah you do what you do wonder uh, a, a transport attack now and and what, what can the, what, what they can do i'm sure someone someone yeah, will exactly. someone will write something i mean if they've been the, the things they did with the characters and transporters in in voyager i'm sure they can figure something out and it, except poor two yeah um but it never um you know it's never it's never it's never slowed data down has it there's how many versions of data have oh, there been the suit yeah, so yeah, yeah. um there's always a Trin, there's always a Tom Riker character. I'm sure he'll be back. He's he was too he was too good. <laughs> and while while you were watching season three, were there were there kind of moments where you thought, as a writer, like oh, I'd I'd like to explore that more, or you know, you, you mentioned how you know it, it's a it's a fascinating thought experiment. You know that, that if it, if they sort of switched the genders, yeah, of of the of the of the of of Jack. But were there other kind of yeah characters that you thought oh I, I I'd love to kind of follow that thread or or write more about that? So certainly that aspect of that sort of invisible motherhood I thought was was very was very interesting although the way that mm-hmm. motherhood can be invisibilized. Um, I I really wanted to get into the I think because they opened this can of worms. Uh, I think we we re- we really needed needed to get into it, which was about the changeling, um, the attempted changeling genocide. Um, and um, you sort of think, well, that one's been opened now. Uh, and, and we've seen some of what was perhaps done to Vadic in the name of that. And I want to see these, I want to see these people up at the Hague. You know, <laughs> these, are, <laughs> these are bad people. Yeah, this, this they try to eradicate, you know. So, um, yeah. and the only other person who tries to eradicate the change things in Deep Space Nine is a particularly unpleasant character called Inar Brintain, who's Garrick's dad. <laughs> you know, he's like the villain. <laughs> so um, I thought if we're, if we're going to go there with changeling uh, attempted genocide by by people in Starfleet, um, we, uh, I'd really like to see that one sort of dealt with fully because uh, they're quite harrowing, the things that we see happen to Vadic. Um, so I'd yeah. like that one done. And and um, in in your book, you you, you, you I mean, it's it, it's it's Raffi's book, right? It's um it's very much like her story. Picard is it's a Picard novel, but but it's sort of I, for for me, it was Raffi's story. Um, what 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 is it that kind of drew you to that character when you were watching season one? And 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 are there more like like do you have more kind of ideas for how to how to write about Raffi in the future? Oh, I'd love to do some more, Raffi. I really would. I think actually what drew me to her uh, writing uh, the the first book, which was the prequel book, uh, was that a, a lot of her story in that is about her estrangement from her family. It's about her kind of prioritising her Starfleet, what what's required from her from Starfleet over her husband and small child. Um, 
And I was writing the book in quite a hurry, just as the way these things <laughs> happen, writing TV books. And there was a lot of me saying to my family, I promise this won't go on indefinitely. <laughs> but mummy will be back next weekend. Yes. <laughs> so that was really what I identified uh, uh, with, with Rafi. And, and I was, I think I was a, I was a comparatively new mother. Um, mm -hmm. So to write about that experience, the, those sorts of um, dual demands upon self, uh, when you've only got so much to give, um, I, I, you know, and then obviously it's a Star Trek space opera book. So you kind of, you know, my, mine is just in the context of writing a book, but Rafi's in the context of kind of like a intergalactic humanitarian disaster. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that, that's sort of, um, that's how I found my way into Rafi. Um, and then in, in second self, you're looking at someone who's, who's relatively late, relatively late in life or, you know, in her fifties or whatever she is, is mm -hmm. trying to start again. Is trying to pick up the pieces, uh, and it, it, I find it a really—it's a lovely performance. There's a, there's a lot of toughness to Raffi, obviously, but then there's also a great deal of vulnerability um, and tenderness uh, and uh, and love in her. Um, and I find her—I find her really um, a really attractive character to think about and write about. So I'd happily write some more. I mean, we we we're seeing her as number one now, mm. um, so stepping into the Riker role. Uh, so some more of that friendship with Seven of Nine, that not friendship relationship. Yeah. Uh, how's that work? Yeah. Um, see a bit more of that on screen. How that perhaps they have to navigate that uh, on the ship. Um, all interesting stuff. All interesting stuff. Yeah, lots of yeah. Then there are loads of interesting threads, and and I'm assuming there will. Be, I mean, I, I, do you know much about what's happening with the Picard books, or or do you kind of do? You, are you the last to know? Oh no, I, I never know anything. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I all I know is the moment where I get an email saying, "So, do you want to do an X book?" And I go, "Yes, please." And that's that's <laughs> literally all I know. And then you kind of get folded into the loop uh, a little bit, and then you you sort of you know. You kind of unfold, <laughs> but literally that's all I ever hear. They, I kind of get an email saying, "Do you want to do a do an X book?" And I go, "Yeah, that'd be great." And then uh, you know that's the next thing. So absolutely no idea. I, yeah. There's plenty of scope for the story, I think. And there are four books now, aren't there? Um, uh, and yes, I, I, I think so. Yeah, mm -hmm. yep. uh, there could be a Fenris Ranger one with Seven, or uh, but who knows if they are planning a show uh, with Seven as um, you know Captain of the Enterprise. That's going to be a completely different show, isn't it? That's going to be. Are they were they calling it Legacy? I think online. Um, but but is that what it's? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That was just that. I don't know if that's from the the writers team or whether it's from you know something the fans came up with. But that was that. That's what people were making kind of mock up posters for. But who knows? We'll see. Right. Got to get through the writers strike first. So um, yep. Yeah. Um. You 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 mentioned you mentioned kind of that that point about genocide and and your your background is in sociology and and there's a great line in an interview you said um you said you were a, a quite a bad sociologist <laughs> but and you found that science fiction turned out to be a better way of sort of maybe exploring some of these things are, are you always coming to your writing with that sort of sociological layer in mind are you always sort of thinking about that when you when you frame things I think so. I think so. And I, but I think I'm always trying to find the, because I write very close to the characters. I think I'm always very, I'm certainly to be able to write fiction well, 
you have to be close to these people and and um feel what they're feeling no you don't necessarily have to agree with their responses or even with the particularly in garrett's case their ideologies but you do have to feel the way that they feel um and yet i i ju- i ju- was lucky to just find this extremely nice niche where you know i could do all of those things that maybe a, a literary fiction writer would do but i could do it in space yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh and not just space but in like star trek space yeah <laughs> so yeah 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 so at every level there's a kind of um abstraction or or maybe a you know a hyper an, an extra elements for hyper realism and yet at the heart these stories are always personal they're always about mm-hmm the choices for good or bad that people are making and the reasons why they're doing that. So I know some people think that my, uh, I, I, I've, I've read some reviews, not that I've read reviews um, that say, Oh, you know, her, her alien, the aliens don't feel alien enough. And I, I think that's a fair, a fair cop. And some people, you know, read science fiction because they really want that feeling of estrangement. Um, mm. and what I read and write it for is that this feeling of slight abstraction that I want to get closer to, the experience of being what it means or feels like to be human. But I do that kind of in an abstracted way through, you know, space lizards. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Space. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a great job, right? <laughs> I know. I was saying this the other night. I was giving a talk to some college students uh, on Tuesday night and I said, um, Nobody ever mentioned this at the careers office. This was like <laughs> nobody said, Una, you know those those books you sit and read with Tasha Yar on the front? Somebody writes them. And that's a job. <laughs> it's not a well paid one, but you know, it's not bad. It'd get keep you in chips. Um so uh, but nobody nobody mentions that. But we find these niches, I think. Yeah. That's 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 fantastic. Um you, you mentioned how sort of like the uh this the essay you have coming out in the Dan Coxon collection is that right? Yeah. Um, what, what what's the name of that one? I've just it slipped my mind. Uh, oh, it's called Writing the Future. They've done a series of them through Dead Ink. There's Writing the Uncanny as well, which is a fantastic collection. Um, and this is the next, one, which is about science fiction. And and uh, yeah, it's Dead Ink, and and it uh, some some sad news yesterday that, that that sort of unsung stories is has decided to kind of um, close down, and sort yeah. of Dan Coxon is involved there as well. Uh, that's right you're you you have involvement you you've been involved with these big franchises but you're also kind of you know you're you're involved with you know smaller press stuff and you've worked with like uh ian waits at new con and uh and and the the kind of whole range of things um do do you feel like do you feel like this is a really good time for publishing and in 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 terms of sort of small press publishing or do you think that this is you know, as it, looking at it from your perspective, that it's sort of more difficult now for sort of not just small presses, but for writers coming in. Yeah, it's an absolutely terrible time. It's it's awful, um, and, and and there are there are various reasons for this. But I mean, we can't underestimate things like the uh, things as simple as the cost of paper um, becoming so expensive. Um, it's it's punishingly difficult to punishingly expensive to print a book. I think. It's amazing that, uh, you know, Unsung, uh, what they've done has just been incredible. Those books are beautiful and original and genre-bending and they pick up awards and shortlistings. And if a, if, a, if a press like that, which is doing incredible work, can't survive in some way, 
there's something gone badly wrong with the whole ecosystem. It, it's like a sort of, um, you know, a loss of species diversity, isn't it? Uh, it's it, something has gone wrong uh, with what whatever structures are in place. It, it's not good. It, it's almost like you're either, you know, Stephen King or you're, you, you, you know, you can't you can't find these little niches anymore. And these niches should be there because that's how we get diversity of voice and, um, you know, diversity of experience and and, and a better uh, a better literary culture. I'm doing a, a little bit with my work uh, with Gold SF, which is um, an imprint I'm involved with that's uh, uh, looking for new voices in intersectional feminist science fiction. And we're lucky there in that the, the, the press sort of operates like an indie Um but it's it's supported institutionally by Goldsmiths University, so it's part of Goldsmiths Press, and the press is a university press. It's got connections, distribution by MIT as well, MIT Press. So it's like we've got some of the um, buffer that you can get from a big institution, but the freedom to operate like an independent. Uh, and um, yeah, so it, it's working for the moment. Um, and um, but uh, that it's it's just heartbreaking to see something like unsung um just have to say we can't there's not a way we can do this anymore um because they should be flourishing i think yeah yeah br- brilliant brilliant books i mean if uh, anyone's listening hasn't found unsung stories they um i mean that i'm trying to think of the, the ones the first one i read was probably dark river by rim kashasha yeah that's yeah. that's a f- fantastic novel and uh there's also gigantic which is really funny and really really smart by ashley stokes so if you have yeah if you want to find some some interesting genre bending yes of writing do do check it do check them out i'd recommend um, if you're interested in weird or sort of british weird then uh they publish malcolm devlin who's one of the best short story writers in the uk devlin's amazing yeah science fiction where it sort of segues into weird there's uh, Aaliyah Whiteley. They um, they published her book, the, uh, the Beauty, and then oh, just just lots of you know like uh, uh, didn't they didn't they publish Dark Star? I can't remember who it's by now. It's a sort of novel, uh, poem novel length poem. There's just some incredible stuff. One of their books just got shortlisted for the BSFA Best Novel, the Coral Bones. You know how can mm-hmm. you how can you have put out a book that was shortlisted for an award and then the press? is having to it's just um oh, it's sad it's yeah. really yeah it's yeah uh, and yeah. It, that's structure that's the way we choose to finance and support the arts yeah mm-hmm. so it's uh you know there are there are there are reasons um that we that we are losing these things and it's um stopped. yeah ending on a well or, or wrapping up on a, a more positive note about gold um are there are there maybe some of the, the sort of gold sf titles that you'd like to to sort of highlight or point people towards oh well there, there are two out at the moment uh so we, we, we our first two books came out we've got a collection of um poetry called um by jesse randall which is about uh uh women in stem so that was our first book we said we're going to publish feminist science fiction and we're going to publish a book of poetry <laughs> poems about mathematicians isn't it isn't it, is it it's poems? called mathematics for ladies but it, it it it's not just about mathematicians it's it's poetry it's poems about women in STEM, and they're, they're not. There's okay. poems about Marie Curie and Jocelyn Belbonel. Uh, so it's the whole gamut. But mathematics for ladies is a is a particular quotation that becomes relevant. Um, and then our first novel uh, we published a few months ago, and that is Empathy by Ho Pham, 
who is an Australian uh, science fiction writer. Um, and uh, her novellas came in and we, we were sort of reading these going, yeah, these, these are the real deal. Uh, and they deserve a kind of, I think they've, they've had a small press publication in Australia and gone out of print. And we looked at them and went, yeah, these have got to, these have got to come into print. So empathy is about a, um, a drug that people can take that, that gives them empathy uh, and mm-hmm. uh, surrounds a, a, a group of um, cloned sisters. It's great. It's really, really good. Our next two are coming out in June and July. We have The Disinformation War by S.J. Gronewegen, which is a sort of near future uh, Britain. And so we, uh, what I like about this book is that not only do we see the dystopia, we see the path to resistance or the start of a path uh-huh. to resistance, which I often think science fiction isn't very good at. Yeah, because it's like concrete mm-hmm. thinking. Here's dystopia, or here's utopia. Well, you know, how do we get, how do, what's the pathway? Uh, and then right. the next book is by, um, is called uh, The Ghostwriters by MJ Maloney. And that's, uh, again, that's a sort of near future British uh, uh, semi dystopia. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's great. That's a really good, sort of, that, that has a very literary flavor. I think they're good books and I, I just hope people are really buy them, read them, get them for your friends, you know, put them in the Christmas stocking and, you know, yeah. let's keep these diverse voices, um, these, keep these spaces alive, I think. So that's Gold mm-hmm. SM. And then hopefully we can, we can announce some more quite soon because we've got some lovely things lined up that um, I'm excited about people reading. <laughs> oh, that sounds very exciting. That sounds very exciting. And, and, um, and just to remind people, your, uh, your book, uh, Second Self, is out now in hardback and coming out in paperback very soon That's there's right. also the autobiography of spock yeah. which is out now and which is uh which which i've started on and which is really really interesting and i think i think you you do choose these these great um these great characters so uh yeah that's, well, that's they, a great they one. come to me i've also got the autobiography of Catherine janeway if people are more uh uh-huh. so that's there and then the usual lots of star trek books deep space nine done a couple based on discovery uh, and mm-hmm. the Firefly book is coming as well. And we and we should give a, a mention the big finish box set. The uh, oh heavens! You we haven't talked about your Blake Seven book, yes, have we? Of course. We <laughs> <laughs> I know, my gosh, no, but I can hear the 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 PR people going. You know what are They're you doing? So I'm glad you're the door, here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget. So yes, of course, and it was one of my bucket list as well to do a Blake Seven novel. Yes, Big Finish have just put out a beautiful uh, box set edition of. Um, novelizations of the uh, first 14 scripts of Blake Seven, all of which were written by Terry Nations. So we had kind of access to very early drafts uh, and, uh, you know, we could pick and choose bits from those if we liked. And um, seven lovely box, uh, seven lovely books in this gorgeous box set. It's like mm-hmm. Christmas morning. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll need a very big stocking for that one. Um, but, but <laughs> you will, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your big, your big boy yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> no no that's that, that's that's wonderful and you can read um uh, chris funnell has has written a really fascinating kind of interview article for for interzone digital so you can find uh you can find out more about those uh over on interzone.digital and you can uh you can find out about interzone and subscribe hopefully or pre-order uh, at interzone.press um uh, you're listening to Interzone Pod. Uh, my name is Gareth Jelly. I'm the editor of Interzone, and I've been talking to Dr. Una McCormack. Uh, thank you very much, Una, for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs>